Cronoso listeners, welcome to episode 13. This will be the second part of last episode where we indulge in between SummerSlam 88 and Survivor Series 88. This is the second part of that, but this is episode 13. All right, anyone, if that music before me didn't give it away, we are going to give you the review of the vignettes to all of Mr. Perfect's from 1988, 89, in 93, Justin and I, take it away. Cronoso, we are here again, Justin. usually don't do these together, but you were here with me, not Keith. I forced you, made you, however you want to go with it. But it is I, Ryan, with my buddy Justin. Justin, you ready to break down Mr. Perfect here or what? I'm ready to do a perfect podcast with you, my friend. Uh, I do miss me with Keith. He's my Cronoso tag team partner. But this is like a, we'll call it like a battle bowl kind of thing. We had a little scramble action. <laughs> I got assigned with you, my network adventure partner on uh, JT and Ryan's Excellent Adventure. We do every other Monday here. Uh, a lot of watching wrestling with our friends. So we thought we'd get together and watch some Mr. Perfect vignettes and uh, rank them out. So now what I understand is this is like all of them. This is, you know, in Cronoso lineage timeline right now. We're at 1988. He's debuting mm-hmm. uh, these vignettes. But we also have some when they did the reboot in 1993. They kind of ran mm-hmm. back some of these vignettes. So we're going to watch them all. So we're just going to watch them all. And then at the end, we are going to rank them out of easy, middling, and difficult on for us to do in our early 40s, late 30s as adults. Cute, unique dad type of vibe twist to hear with a fun nostalgia of Mr. Perfect. Because these vignettes are right up Cronoso's alley, for instance. All right. So this, the first one we have here is the tennis table. Um, this table looks like tennis. Table tennis. This, is, this looks like we're what in mid 89 here. Yeah. These are like, so he came in, you know, Keith and I talked about Kurt heading ever in the WrestleFest Cronoso uh, against Terry Taylor. So he was still Kurt heading there. Hadn't quite become Mr. Perfect. So I, I believe these started airing in like the end of August, early September into October timeframe is when they converted him to the Mr. Perfect gimmick. They put the genius with him, mm-hmm. uh, Lanny Poffo. So we'll I see meant him introduce everything excuse here. me. Yeah. Yeah. 88. Yeah. 88. Yeah. He's starting to come up on our timeline. So I thought it'd be perfect to review all these. All right. So this is the table tennis vignette, not tennis table paddles positively panics people's pointless pride. It's just one of many things that poor Hulk Hogan cannot do. And that just makes the genius feel good inside. Hulk Hogan, a little lesson in hand-eye coordination. Follow the bouncing ball if you can, for that's what it'll be like following Mr. Perfect around the wrestling ring. I'll come from the north, south, east, west, all at the same time. You it's try interesting to figure that he's that already out. like calling out Hogan here. Let's get this mm-hmm. over with. Yeah, that's why I was a little. Perfect one, you nothing. <laughs> you. You're not even a name. I love the Zubas. That's a sweet tank top. Perfect two. Absolutely. You. Nothing. Nothing. Do you think they worked this, or was he like just really just good at it? Just like everything else in life, little left hand, little right hand, little left hand, little right hand, and Hulk Hogan. I know you can't do something like that. Everything I do in my life is absolutely perfect. Perfect three. You. Nothing. He's getting more nothing. The stain is nothing. There we go. There's a theme already, too. So, I think we should clean up our comments here a little bit. I think this is 89. 
because he wasn't with Genius in '88. So you nothing. You nothing. So I don't think these are his debut promos. I think this is going into the Hogan feud in '89. So because I know we had some of the. 93 mixed up, right? Yeah. This is 89. This is where he's starting the feud with Hogan. Because he doesn't get with Genius until, um, like, mid-89. You can't do that. Well, we got a mixed potpourri. Perfect. Yeah, let's see. Let's see where else to go. It's the only time we're really going to hit on perfect here. Yeah, no, that was definitely 89. So this golf one next here, is that the, uh, is that a 88 one? Let's see. We'll see if he's got genius with him. That'll help us determine. Uh, he looks a little bit younger. So son, everything in his life, absolutely perfect, without a flaw, without a blemish, from top to bottom, everything that I have ever done has been absolutely perfect. And today, we're taking the simple game of golf. And to the you can tell he's got a little less maybe a frustrating game. swag. That, that first one we watched, he had way more like swag in the gimmick. That's how you know he's like a year in on that one. A man yeah. that can do anything that he puts his mind to. And either way, this is the only perfect. time we're really going to hit on these well, the vignettes. So let's the just do them all. Yeah, no, do them all. I am going to sink a 40-foot putt to show you people sure, that I am perfect in every way and that I am Mr. Perfect. Yeah, you can tell he's like trying to establish the gimmick here. The last one he was all in on Hogan. <laughs> he was emphasizing his perfectness to rise up to the legend of Hulk Hogan. 40 foot foot. Boom. Boom. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, he you think he did that one? That That's really him doing this, right? Perfect. Hi, I'm Steve Jordan of the Minnesota Vikings. Some people say that Warren Moon is a great passer. Around these parts, they say that Fran Tarkenton is the greatest. I want to introduce you to the perfect passer. That's right. I not am the, the greatest, not the best. Passer. I understand you're the perfect tight end. So this is 93. We're back. This is they did a few of these when he turns face in 93 to kind of reestablish him. It's like being a badass. A little cook. A little out route. I love this one. I remember this one. Yeah, that's a good one. You could tell too. Again, he's got the swag and the gimmick way more now than the, he had. Yeah, he's got the ponytail too. That's not even. I tell you, this guy is a perfect passer. And Steve Jordan well, says he's a perfect Steve, passer. But you haven't seen anything. This is the big. This is the big moment here, though. This is the iconic one. Yeah, I love it. Put the music in. I like how he waits too. One. Yeah, he waits. Does not just go right after. He, he does not look like he's running very fast in this video. No. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you think he's really do it, does it? But uh, after seeing him run, I don't. I don't think so. This is probably no. The weight bottles is the most I caught it. But this is yeah. up there. How far do you think he threw that in your football coach estimation? Eighty yards for sure. Wow, I love it. Steve. Wow. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> If he really did this, like they'd be signing him. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what a throw. What a, what a throw. That was unbelievable. No, no, no that no. was perfect. That He's not even wounded. <laughs> yeah, I mean. People's dream to be perfect. But with me, see, it's no dream. It's reality. It's life. And take the simple game of bowling. This is 88. Everybody's dream to bowl the perfect game. 
Well, being Mr. Perfect, I like the unbuttoned shirt. You sit back from the couch. You put your feet up. Yeah, it looks like a sleaze bag for sure. You are going to witness the perfect game. Wow. Would you ever go to any candle pins that look like that? <laughs> well, these are big balls, so these aren't even uh, duck or candle pin, right? These are just standard 10 pin. Oh, uh, you didn't get the hand, the handwritten score. I think candle pin is like a New England thing, right? Yeah, yeah, and those are the small balls. So, uh, candle pin is kind of silly. It's the one that is straight. Duck pin is the short little fat ones you use the small balls. You can whip yeah. whip down the aisle. There's only a couple left in Rhode Island that are duck pin. Yeah, the one in this is closed probably the pandemic. Wow, yeah, most are ball. standard 10 pin big ball. Strike, strike. So you can tell they haven't really established a Mr. Perfect music yet either, because this one and the golf one, they have just this like funky little jazz ditty going. You think they're showing the same thing every time? I was just gonna say, you think this is the same clip <laughs> over, over, over and over? I'm trying to watch which pins go down first every time. No, that's how he turns. Yeah, that's different. I feel like a couple they might have showed the. Uh, the same sequence. The same. That looked the same. Wait, honestly, this is one you could probably do a million takes until you get strikes. Yeah, I mean all of them are really good. Even the whole, the putting one. There you go. Three hundred coming. I need a little Pete Weber action. Crotch chop. <laughs> you see the perfect game. What else would you expect from Mr. Perfect? Mr. Perfect. <laughs> that was good. A little repetitive on that one. That might be my least favorite one. I'm Felton Spencer. Set it for the Minnesota. Oh, 93. Cowboys. If we got Felton Spencer. We started bringing out the stars in 93. Steve Jordan, Felton Spencer, Wade Boggs. So they must have filmed this and the Steve Jordan one at the same time. Because Minnesota, he's in yeah. uh, Minnesota for both of them. Well, he's from Minnesota. Look at the Ico Pro shirt, too. Yeah, that's great. Ico Pro ripped off our, the Ico Pro ripped off our Noso uh, logo. They did. I like how they busted out the Globe Artist theme as well. <laughs> this guy has no charisma. Poor Felton Spencer. Those are pure. That 93 Timberwolves logo is like pure 90s as well. The the green and blue. If this was the adventure, that would win the most logo. That would win the uh, most 93. Poor Felton Spencer would. <laughs> Perfect. Watch this. Oh, that's the most iconic right there. Perfect. It's not even a switch. It barely goes in. 100 points. The uh, Me and John Walters recreated this for my college uh, TV station. It was oh, really? me missing shots and him making shots. We all did all the editing and then I get fouled on one that's from great. the layup. I'm Wade Boggs. I want to show you a perfect hitter. This is he had just signed with the Yankees. I was just going to say, was he on the Yankees or the Red Sox? He had just signed with the Yankees that year, 93. Fucking traitor. You had to get a ring, I buddy. I love it. I love it. It's showing the spin on the ball. Call your shot. Perfect. There it is. Look at that sweatshirt. So 90s. Look at Boggs. Boggsy just watching from the outfield. How many fucking beers do you think Boggsy drank before this? Miller Lights before this? Tampa. Oh, down to Tampa. Spring That's training. probably spring training they were doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this guy. <laughs> Whoa. Every time. Woo. I love that right there. 
Well, him and Boggs were like good friends, They're right? Boys, Weren't right? They, they were legit boys, yeah. yeah. Didn't he? Oh, he inducted in the Hall of Fame, didn't he? Didn't they bring Boggs mm -hmm. in with yeah. the. Uh... Yeah, yeah, Joe, his son, Curtis Axel. His son accepted, but I think Boggs introduced him, I thought. Yeah, that makes sense. Everyone's in awe. Absolutely. My favorite Wade Boggs story. I don't know if it's true or not, but he was hammered on a, a road trip one night and he showed up, bangs on Michael K's door. And Kay's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what do you need? He thought he was looking for Susan Waldman for a friggin' uh, booty call. And he ended up in Michael K's room by accident. Fucking <laughs> hammered out of his mind. Oh, God, that's great. I did not know that story. Wade Boggs. Great uh, episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as well, where they try and do the Boggs drink. I forget how many beers it is on a plane or whatever, on a flight. The legendary Boggs story. Mr. Perfect. You've seen Mr. Perfect in a lot of different situations. And all these situations have been physical. Look at well, that freaking upholstery on that chair. Game of chess. And for the is he in a furniture store? A mind game, so to he say. might be in a retirement home. But for Mr. Perfect... Just it's some. I mean, there's like thirty chairs line. in this in this room. See, from head to toe and in the mind, I, think it's a I am absolutely. At least it's a chess one. And in the game of chess, I feel like it's a furniture store. By the way, check me. Look, at, look how I close his recliners are to each other. Perfect. And now you know why <laughs> they call me Mr. Perfect. Was that a table? Mr. Perfect. I don't know. That's that was it? the weakest. He didn't even do anything. Yet. I guess you can't really play chess against yourself. Perfect dart. Just this one's short. Planes of fucking dots, kid. Mr. Perfect. This is 88. Again, we get the Absolutely. jazzy. Perfect. Perfect. Music. Absolutely perfect. One bullseye <laughs> and out. That was the 88 ones were, they're pretty good. I can see why they're like memorable, but definitely they're all pretty sh Like Like you said, the bowling one's kind of repetitive. Golf was good. Chess, chess and darts were kind of lame. I like how he wears his tights as a bathing suit. Yeah, he took the words out of my mouth. There. He, he's wearing his ring gear. This is amazing, too, with Genius fucking standing there, like, waxing poetic as this guy's diving into the fucking pool. And his full Genius and his full garb in the pool. He must have been sweating his balls off. Those pools are always so freaking hot. Look at that look of love in his eyes, too. Lost in his eyes. Great dive. He's underrated. Well, that's a good dive right there. You think that's him, or do you think that's a stunt double right there in the shade? It's got to be him, Greg right? I'm going to call Greg Luganison and put him in a fucking curly wig. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be him. Perfect, Dad. I mean, it was a good, like, good storyline. Like, basically, this is all shit. Hogan, you say Hogan's the best professional athlete or whatever, but he can't do any of this. Um, mm -hmm. All right, yeah, rank yeah, the vignettes yeah. real quick before we get to our tier list. I gotta say, diving's pretty good. I well, let's just do the years. You don't have to do them all. So ninety-three. Say, yeah, eighty-nine was sneaky good though. With the table, genius added a lot. Um, yeah. But ninety-three is like the the swagger of the athletes add a lot. So yeah, I'd go ninety-three. I'd go eighty-nine, which I think are the forgotten ones. Um, and then I go eighty-eight. I think we're kind of the most. I think the the um, bowling and the darts kind of and chess. The chest kind of hurt 88, too. I like the golf one was good, but... Yeah. Like, honestly, I'd probably have the 88s all stack ranked at last if I was ranking them all. Like, I'd... Oh, absolutely. I'd have them at the end there. Um, 
Yeah, they're, I mean, they're all iconic for a reason. Like, everyone remembers them. It gets over the gimmick really well. Even the 88 ones, it gets over what, it, what they're trying to accomplish. Him calling out Hogan. 93, reintroducing him as a face. Mm-hmm. You know, don't forget how flawless I was. Just because I've been a manager for a year, uh, you know, 18 months or whatever, doesn't mean I'm, I'm not great still as an athlete. And here's what I got to do. I think it was kind of smart to do that to show that he's, like, yeah. healed from his back and everything. So And it's nostalgia, too. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, the '89 ones too. I like that they do it as a callback to '80, yeah. just the year before. You know, They're like this is what this guy can do. Uh, really levels him up. Yeah, in the gym. All, All right, right. So, so now like, we're ranking. If uh, you or I to do these in our late '30s, early '40s as dads, right. we have to put three in the easy column, three in the average column, and three in the difficult. Now, are you column. saying any forty-year-old dad or like me? Because like I think table tennis is easy compared to the other ones, but like I'm not good at table tennis, so like I don't know if I. Can... Right in the average, right away. Average, okay. right away. Golf, oh, difficult. Fuck. Difficult as fuck. <laughs> I'm ter- I have. I don't have the demeanor. Chess. Uh, back to the demeanor part. Average or difficult? I, you want to put it? No, I. I put chess as easy because I think if you can learn it, you don't yeah. need to. It's not a physical skill. I think you can. Te- Look, we've taught ourselves how to edit videos. Not enough, but no, like <laughs> I think we can learn. Like Jeff Machado, my buddy uh, Jeff, from Jeff Lynch Wrestling, is a chess savant. So, like, I feel like if I dedicated my time and effort to all these things, I think chess is the one I could actually like get good at because it's not a physical skill. You just it's a mental game. I, I I probably don't have the mentality or to wrap my demeanor around. Yeah, maybe, but <laughs> I feel like the physical ones are harder because your body at forty can only do so many. Like I can't go fucking learn how to dive like that. You know what I mean? Like, but I could I could probably sit here and learn. Diving is difficult. I'm out. Diving is is hard. It's um, hard, especially with the velocity and the vibrance that. I'm gonna say darts easy. Ooh. All you do is throw one bullseye. I, I've done that before. Of all the things yeah. on this list, that's the one I've done before. It's a okay. Darts is a bar game, easily. Boom. Yeah. All right. Bowling. Mm. Bowling the a perfect game is difficult. No, that's hard. I don't think. I mean, perfect game. I think that's hard. All right. Well, for to live up to Mr. All right, as an activity, it's average. But the the difficult. It's difficult. That's what we're do doing, it. right? We're trying to match a perfect dead. I think it's hard. I think it's hard. All perfect right. Game. So, all right. Here we go. Throwing a football. Hitting a baseball or shooting a basketball? What is the All easiest right. of them? So we're not saying the throw and run because he didn't really do that, right? <laughs> we're saying he just threw a bunch of perfect passes to Steve Jordan, right? That's what we're going with? Probably easiest for me. Because uh, we would agree with that throwing a ball 80 yards and catching it is the hardest thing on this list. Like, if that's what we're, if that's what we're going by, that's the hardest thing on the list. Um, I would say throwing perfect passes, though. Is probably average on our if we're going three, three, and three, it's probably average. Hitting a baseball is hard, especially now. Can you imagine my eyesight is terrible? I yeah. baseball I, I put, is the best sport but as that guy kid. wasn't throwing hard. I'd put that at the at the the last average, I'd say. To, to hit a home run and then what to shoot a free throw and shoot around is the easiest. Yeah. All right. All right, I'm good with that. I would personally flip football and chess, but that's just the difference between you and I, Justin. Yeah, more of a mental game. I can throw a football. I mean, again, I guess, what's the chess thing? What are we trying to do? Beat someone in chess, I guess? Or what did he do? He just, like, moved a bunch of fucking pieces on the board. I don't know. He was at a fucking furniture store playing chess or a retirement home. (laughs) We didn't figure that out. I think this is right. I I think this is about right. If you want to flip football and chess, I'm fine with it, too. Because you can can get football... um, Like, yeah, I guess you could probably go out quicker and throw a bunch of passes... 
then you could learn the game of chess. So I'll, 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 we can switch those. We can switch. And those. you don't know who you're playing in chess. You could be playing a savant or you could play in a novice. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's just look, kinda... as, a, as a 111 IQ guy, like, it, you know, I could probably pick up the game a little bit, but I could still throw 50 yard dot. Bring me, bring on a football kid. I'll show you. Still got Fuck a quarterback. Out Fuck out of here. All right. This is a lot of fun, though. Uh, it was a perfect. The edited version looks perfect. The the journey to it was maybe a little little rough, but a little rough. Cronoso was great. Cronoso was awesome. Check it out. All right, I'm not done. Right? Do we have more of me on this thing? Akeem was first. I'm sending you back. All right, now I'm out. Bye. And you're headed back to Boston for Keithy. Thank God. What's going on, Cronoso? This is Mike Rossi here, and I am covering a segment where the Million Dollar Man purchases Hercules Hernandez. So now it's this is a uh, segment on probably one of the weekly shows um, because it opens with um, Lord Alfred Hayes, you know, cutting to the segment, which is right on the stage where they do the interviews by the entrance. This was on the stage was DiBiase, Virgil, Hercules, Bobby Heenan, who's holding a briefcase, uh, presumably full of cash. And the interviewer was Mean Gene, obviously. Now, it starts by DiBiase saying that he bought himself his own personal slave. Mean Gene says that this is 1988. What are you talking about, a slave? DiBiase then retorts, you have seen the things I've purchased. Looks at, looks at Virgil and says, I purchased the greatest bodyguard a guy can buy. Then he looks at Heenan and said that he bought the best managerial advice that money can buy. And then he states at his disposal, at a hefty price, he still has a giant as well. Mentioning, obviously, Andre. But then he says, so read my lips. I did not stutter. I bought my own slave. Mean Gene says, just who may this slave be? And DiBiase looks around, smiles, and says, well, Hercules. Hercules looks shocked, which, which makes me wonder why he thought he was out there while his manager hell held a briefcase full of cash. But I digress. Anyways, Hercules asks Bobby what the hell he's talking about. Heenan grabs the mic and says, remember, case hurrah, case hurrah, whatever will be, will be. Heenan then says the party's over and begins to walk off with his, obviously, briefcase full of cash. Hercules grabs his arm, and then they start talking off mic. Heenan grabs the mic again and says the new position is something you have earned. Hercules then grabs Heenan by the shirt aggressively, which causes Heenan to drop the briefcase full of cash. At that point, DiBiase picks up the briefcase and decks Hercules from behind. And says, now take your position, and this is your first lesson as a slave of the Million Dollar Man. You don't talk, you don't walk, you don't speak, you don't touch anybody else unless I tell you to. Hercules then gets back up to his knees, and DiBiase asks him if he understands slave, and slaps him a few times. And then Virgil jumps in and starts kicking him. DiBiase then starts to kick and throw hammer fists, while Hercules remains now down on the stage, laying down. DiBiase then instructs Virgil to put the boots to him. Hercules, from there, eventually stands up and overpowers Virgil, decks Virgil with a punch that sends him flying off the stage, and then Hercules is able to bounce back with a high knee that decks Virgil again. From there, Hercules is able to take off his chain and just start swinging the chain while he's looking at DiBiase, who then begs off and takes off. Hercules continues to swing the chain as they cut away from the scene, and they get back to Lord Alfred Hayes saying, well, that was something. So now we move on with Million Dollar Man having the, the rights to Hercules Hernandez as his slave, although Hercules is obviously not approving this at this point. So 
this will be interesting to follow in the coming weeks and months. Thank you guys all for listening to this breakdown. And let's catch it to whoever's next. Later, guys. Hey there, everyone. It's the Down Under Thunder coming to you on another episode of Cronoso. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. And I want to talk to you about something just a little different for a moment. I want to talk to you about debuts, new wrestlers entering the company. How do you bring in a new wrestler into the World Wrestling Federation? Well, there's normally several ways it happens. Often, a wrestler debuts after a series of vignettes highlighting the strengths and, and, and intentions of said wrestler. A good example is the arrival of Mr. Perfect. Another way to debut a wrestler is to have him come out and do some form of amazing quick squash victory, showcasing his power or his skill or his strength and, and his ability to overcome an opponent in quick fashion, dominating to victory. A third way is to have a manager introduce this man as the greatest wrestler to ever be. The man who will take the title. The man who will rule the company. And this wrestler would then come out and join the manager's stable. I want to talk to you about a guy who didn't debut in any of those ways. In 1988, the World Wrestling Federation brought in a gentleman by the name of Terry Taylor. Now, we're going to focus... Terry Taylor actually had... Two debuts, you could say. He, he sort of made two separate arrivals. Taylor was actually signed to the company in um, August, in July, actually. He, he, he um, did a couple of dark matches, including a, a match at WrestleFest against Kurt Hennig. His television debut occurred in August. Now, on the August, August 1st primetime episode... Terry Taylor teamed up with Scott Casey to wrestle the Conquistadors. And they lost. That's right. Terry Taylor's first match, he loses a tag team match to the Conquistadors. Now, he didn't take the fall. His partner, Scott Casey, took the fall. And... Uh, Terry Taylor got very upset afterwards and beat on Scott Taylor. But how often do you debut a guy in 1988 losing a match? Now, the following week on Superstars, Terry Taylor made his singles debut and he beats a guy called Chris Todd. Pretty straightforward. The sort of match you would get. Um, he, he beats him clean. Um, there's a little inset interview where he calls himself scary Terry Taylor and how he's going to go to the top and everyone's scared of him and, and, and the usual sort of thing. But well, the damage had sort of been done. He, he'd already lost a match. Taylor, um, Taylor actually, it's very interesting when you watch the match because Taylor has this little strut uh, he, he pulls off a couple of moves and he struts around and, well, he struts around a little bit like a chicken. He bobs his head like a chicken. And um, Vince McMahon notices it. 
he actually mentions it in the commentary. Um, talks about how he sort of struts around, like bobbing a little bit, like a, like a, like a chicken. And well, it's um, it's a bit ominous. Taylor sort of makes a couple more appearances on primetime. He sort of beats Scott Casey, beats Lanny Poffo, and, and then he disappears. So essentially one week or two weeks of television, Terry Taylor makes his debut, loses, has a match on Superstars, looks like an idiot, has a couple of matches on primetime, and then disappears until October. Not quite the arrival that you might want for a guy in a company. And then on the 8th of October, Terry Taylor re-debuts. On the Superstars of Wrestling on the 8th of October, Terry Taylor is the first guest or the guest on the Brother Love show. The first time Brother Love appears on Superstars. Previous to that, he'd been on Challenge. Now he's on Superstars. Brother Love introduces Bobby the Brain Heenan and says, Bobby is, Bobby is, uh, to, to, he says that in order to love, you have to have a big brain. So he introduces his dear, close, personal friend, brother, brain, Bobby Heenan. Bobby says that he's full of love and because he's full of love, he's going to increase the size of the family, add new members. And so he introduces the newest member, before he brings him out, he says, this guy is limited when it comes to wrestling. He's limited when it comes to size. It's limited with his win-loss record, but I'm going to make him a superstar. Now, just just take that in for a second. He's limited. Does that make you want to see him? Does that make you eager to watch this guy, to maybe see what he can do? And you've been told he's, he's not very big and he's not very good and he's not that great and doesn't win very often. Brain introduces Taylor and, and he comes out and, and he sort of says, you know, he's limited in size. And Terry says, well, I'm not that small. But um, but Bobby says, you're not big like Andre. And then he says, you're not muscular like Rick Rude. And you don't know the martial arts like Haku. And he starts highlighting all these limitations. And he says, you know, um, you don't have a best best record. And Terry says, I haven't lost them all. And Brain says, you haven't won them all. And Terry sort of each time sort of shrugs and acknowledges, oh, I guess you're right. And, and he says, Bobby says, as limited as you are, one ingredient you have is me. And, and Taylor gives him this quizzical look, but, but follows him off. And, well, that's the, day, that's the return, the re-debut of Terry Taylor. Limited. He's limited in everything. Do you want to watch him? Do you want to see him? The following week on Superstars, Taylor comes to the ring, and uh, he's being he comes to the ring to meet Lanny Poffo, and Lanny Poffo runs a little poem like he does, runs down Terry Taylor, says he shouldn't have teamed with up with Bobby Heenan, and Howard Finkel is introducing Terry Taylor, and just as he's saying his name, Brain grabs the mic and says, "I've given him a new name. He's now the Red Rooster." And um, and the match then proceeds, and Taylor, or Rooster as he's now known, does a couple of moves and keeps going over to Bobby for coaching. Should I do this? Should I do that? Bobby tells him what to do, and Taylor, or now the Red Rooster, wins the match. Gee, it's a crap, crap debut. Now, 
I've there's been a lot of rumors running around about Terry Taylor. One of them is that he was supposed to get the Mr. Perfect gimmick and instead it went to Kurt Henning. I don't believe that. I've you know, and I know um JT and Keith discussed this last episode that um they don't believe it either. Um it's been very clear in in, in the Kurt Hennig DVD and other documentaries that Hennig was good at everything and that's why they gave him the perfect gimmick. But I've listened to um, Bruce Pritchard talk about the Red Rooster thing and, and, and the concept. They talked about how the Red Rooster was supposed to be the cock of the walk, the, the master of the barnyard. It was his arrogance that gave him this title. And if, and if Terry Taylor had leaned into the arrogance, he would have it would have worked. But I don't buy that either. It's it's I've heard Pritchard say it several times, but I don't buy it. I think what happened was that Vince McMahon watched that first appearance on Superstars and saw the strut, saw the head bob. It looked like a damn chicken. He looked like a frigging chicken walking around the ring. And Bob and, and Vince went, oh, he looks like a chicken. We could make him. Maybe his gimmick should be. Maybe he should lean into that and make that his gimmick. Okay. I can buy that. Not the greatest idea. Pretty stupid, actually. But to bring him out on Superstars and say he's limited, they cut his legs off before he could ever make an impact for this company. They cut his legs off. He's limited in ring, limited size, limited intelligence, limited strength. He's limited in everything. Why the hell would anyone want to watch it? I honestly believe Terry Taylor was doomed from the beginning. He made a very poor impression on Vince McMahon in his first match on Superstars and then was ladled with a horrible gimmick. Contrary to what Bruce Pritchard tries to claim, that it was about his arrogance and the cock of the walk, and if he'd leaned into it, it would have worked. No, it would never would have worked. It, you are never going to get a wrestler over if you are sit there on commentary and say he's limited, that he's no good. Who wants to watch him? Who wants to see it? Now, it may very well be that they were building up to the breakup with Bobby Heenan and, and turning him face, whatever. But the damage was done the moment Bobby Heenan started calling him limited, started calling him nothing, and Taylor didn't turn around and clock him one there and then. Why would anyone want to watch him? I'll tell you what, this had to have been possibly the worst debut of a wrestler ever in the history of professional wrestling. And it's a gimmick and a label that stuck with him his whole career pretty well. He came into the company with a pretty good reputation, having been in uh, in Mid South UWF, uh, WCW, and or NWA as it was back then. Moving into world class, he won titles everywhere he'd been. He came in with a very good reputation as an in ring worker, and and as, as legend goes, he was a very arrogant person. Probably was. But after this run in the WWF, his career was done. He returned to WCW. He was nothing. Came back to WWF. He was nothing. Ended up moving backstage. He probably had to move backstage because he was sick of everyone calling him a frigging rooster every time he made an appearance out, out in a ring. Don't blame him. His career was done because they called him limited. I just, you know... I, I feel, you've got to feel for him a little bit. 
the worst debut in history goes to Terry Taylor, the limited man who becomes a rooster, all because on his first appearance of Superstars in August of 1988, when he strutted around the ring, he bobbed his head round like a frigging chicken. And the, the, the light went off in Vince's head and he thought, I can use that. And they killed his career in one moment, in one bite. Bit of a letdown. You know what? I'm not going to end this night of Cronoso with such a letdown. We're going to move on. We're going to have a few more things. I'm going to come back a little bit later on with something a lot more fun and a lot more exciting. I'll catch you then. Hey there, North-South Connection. This is Mike Eller, and I'm giving you a little bit of a different path for my segment of the of today, this week's Cronoso Monthly, where we're going to be looking at the King of the Ring 1988. A little bit different than maybe the King of the Ring we're all familiar with, whether it be the big pay-per-view that they had in June from 1993 to 2002, or even the later iterations where they would have a big thing on TV. Sometimes it led to a lot of success, like King Booker. Other times it didn't really lead. It, we, we got King Sheamus for a little bit. We had King Barrett for a little bit. We had King Corbin, who actually I kind of liked. He acted like a king. It just wasn't, I just, he just didn't say, hey, I'm a king. He kind of, he really thought he was a king. But uh, we're a little bit before Baron Corbin's time. And we're obviously in 1988. Specifically, this King of the Ring took place on October 18th, 1988. It was held uh, from one of our head people in charge here, J.T. Rosero's home area, uh, Providence, Rhode Island, at the Providence Civic Center, uh, it, which would later become the Dunkin' Donuts Center, which, uh, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize it had a name change, but it's now the Amica, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, the Amica Mutual Pavilion, uh, which just changed within like the last year or so at the uh, in 2022. So, why they did the King of the Ring in the 80s, which is kind of what I wanted to get to, and um, is they wanted to increase house show attendance. So, they would have, like, a King of the Ring as just, like, the stylized event. They started this in 1985 and would actually continue the event as, like, more of a house show thing until 1991, um, they took a one. There was a one-year break in there, and then another one-year break in 1992 before they turned it into a pay-per-view. Which kind of surprised they didn't do it earlier. I guess like they didn't really have the monthly pay-per-view concept. It was just four. Um, but kind of interesting in a way. This predates SummerSlam. This predates the Royal Rumble. Uh, this predates Survivor Series even, which is kind of neat. Obviously not in a pay-per-view form, but. Uh, you know, just in terms of a name. To go over the previous winners, um, there's only three, so, you know, it's not too long. 1985, Don Morocco. 1986, Harley Race, who becomes King Harley Race. And then 1987, Randy Savage. He becomes a king, but, like, there must have been some coronation issues where, like, there's, like, a 
They couldn't figure out who the actual king was for a while because he doesn't become a king until like 1989. So things are just popping up and, you know, we'll get a macho king eventually, just not quite in 1987. And uh, we do have, like I said, we have a tournament It takes that took place and it's, I'm going to give you a breakdown of like everything that happened. Um, these are all single elimination um, for the show. I don't think like a one night round robin tournament would work unless you were there. Like the, the night went into like multiple days. But uh, we get a, all the matches. Like we have one match that goes 11 minutes that I'll go into later. But anywhere from like 3 to 10 to 11 minutes. Um, to break down the first round, we have Kent Patera defeating Nikolai Volkov. I'm sure that was not a good match. Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, defeating Brutus Beef, Beefcake. Maybe okay. Ron Bass, he's got a little bit left in his run here in WWF, but not much longer. He beats the, the Barbarian by disqualification. Uh, I kind of almost consider that a bit of an upset. Uh, Barbarian's you know, getting a pretty big push, even as a tag team guy. Uh, Bass, not so much. We have Shawn Michaels, uh, who I don't think... Hit the Rockers' pay-per-view debut is in a little bit, uh, in a future episode, coming very soon to the North-South Connection, just not quite yet. But Shawn Michaels defeats Dangerous Danny Davis. Uh, so they're already giving him a big push. They Rockers have been in the company since June. Uh, you know, obviously in 87 they come in, but kicked out pretty quick. Um, moving along in the first, uh, in a first round match, Bad News Brown and Hercules end in a double count out. I guess they can't go with a winner there. Uh, Randy Savage is back to try to defend his crown. He defeats Virgil in the first round. The longest match of actually the entire night is the Red Rooster defeats Marty Jannetty. So another one of the Rockers. Uh, Sean wins. Janetti loses. Even within like four months, I guess WWF realized that they wanted to push Sean. It just would take some time. Maybe another bit of an upset here. Iron Mike Sharp, the man, he defeats Boris Zukov. Again, Zukov's not a huge star or anything like that, but you'd think like he'd at least get a first-round pass against Mike Sharp. I'm happy Mike Sharp won, though, because he's still way better than Zukov. Um, we take a little bit of a break here. We are not doing we have because we have Jim Duggan defeating Dino Bravo, uh, accompanied by French and Frenchy Martin, in a flag match. Not sure. It, it's seriously like the only non King of the Ring match that they do. Uh, they just kind of do it in the middle of the show. I don't really get it, but they did it, and Hacksaw wins. Uh, I guess USA defeats Canada here. Um, so we're getting to the... Now we're in the quarterfinals. We have Ted DiBiase defeating Ken Patera. Uh, Ron Bass is moving, and he defeats Shawn Michaels. So, wow. Like, I didn't even think Ron Bass should win round one, and he's moving into the semifinals. Um, and then the Red Rooster defeats Iron Mike Sharp. Um, which, poor, poor Iron Mike, but uh, the Red Rooster's moving along. Um, so we then 
go. Uh, we're then moving along to the semifinals where Ted DiBiase is going to end the uh, upset specials of Ron Bass and DiBiase is going on to the finals. And in the semi- other semifinal match, Randy Savage is going to be- defeat the Red Rooster. So we have a rematch with our WrestleMania 4 main event. And instead of Randy Savage winning and then Hulk Hogan coming in and being all excited because Randy Savage won the title, Ted DiBiase is going to defeat Randy Savage by countout, um, which I guess you kind of have to do because if you know Savage loses, like just in a regular match, I wonder if Ted DiBiase would have become champion. But uh, that doesn't happen here. DiBiase is the 1988 king of the ring. He's already a regal guy being the million dollar man. We don't really get a king gimmick necessarily out of him, as we'll see. But yeah, that is a wrap for the 1988 king of the ring. Again, uh, Mike Eller here. I show up on Cronoso Monthly. I have the fortune of hopping on on the YouTube channel sometimes and doing previews with Ryan Gray for upcoming previews. Always a blast to do these. Hope you guys have a great one and continue to enjoy the show. Hello, Cronoso. I am Ryan Everett, and I'm going to continue our journey into Superstars, October 22nd, 1988. And we have Brother Love coming out to conduct uh, one of his interview segments, and he talks about how he's all about love and how he's talking to someone today who has lost their true love, that being the WWF Championship. And coming out on Superstars for the first time in a while is the immortal Hulk Hogan. Hulk comes out, and before he can even say anything, Brother Love brings up the last time that Hulk Hogan was on the Brother Love show, and apparently kind of roughed him up, pushed him around a little bit. So this time around, Brother Love's benefactor, who it was always implied was Ted DiBiase. I'm not sure if they ever said outright it was him, but it's very implied that Ted DiBiase is Brother Love's benefactor, comes out and... Well, Brother Love says his benefactor wants to make sure that Hogan doesn't push him around anymore, push him around this time. So he went and hired some extra, some personal security. And that is, of course, the big boss man, along with Slick. So boss man's just standing there. And right away, Hogan and Slick start arguing with each other. And Hogan goes to put his hands on the Slickster, which the big boss man can't allow that. So he hits him, hits Hogan with the nightstick at the same time slick starts spraying hogan with some mace to you know hogan's a bigger guy so you need both crowd control techniques at the ready for this so they attack hogan and then bossman carries him over to the guardrail and handcuffs him to the guardrail and continues beating him with the nightstick and i, I listened to the bruce pritchard show apparently they had to redo this the first night They taped it. It was Hogan got attacked with the nightstick and just kind of stayed down and acted like he was dead. But I guess Vince and Bruce and Hogan didn't like the way it turned out. So they reshot it the next night where Hogan was getting hit with the nightstick but kept trying to get up just to make it more, I guess, more believe not more believable, but more, you know, Hulk Hogan fighting the odds. If he's fighting back the whole time and so this time he fights back more he's but every time 
Bossman gets a few shots in. Hogan tries getting up, and Bossman comes back in. Slick even tags him with a mace a little bit again once more. And then eventually the Hulk does get some shots in with, you know, his hand handcuffed to a guardrail. And then he just picks up the guardrail itself and chases after the big boss man. And, you know, this is still very early in the boss man's run. Um, you know, he had, I did the SummerSlam 88 match also, so I'm getting all the early boss man goodness. But, yeah, it was, this is really his first, program of, of any note like he didn't even uh you know SummerSlam match was just a squash against Coco it wasn't a feud at all so they brought him in and they're starting him right away I mean you look at his house show listing it's like a lot of guys Sam Houston uh Coco Scott Casey again and then right away it's Hulk Hogan I mean he is heated up Pretty hot, pretty quick. So good for Boss Man, though. He came over from uh, NWA, Crockett, and knew that he was going to get pushed to the moon, and he sure does. So, yeah, this is the real start of the Hulk Boss Man feud that I think they do like almost three trips around the house show circuit. You have this feud, you have the feud now, which would usually end in a DQ or count out. Sometimes with Hogan handcuffing Bossman to the tap rope, clotheslining him out, and then the rough counting Bossman out. Then they'd come back for another show, and it would be a maybe Bossman winning by count out due to some slick shenanigans or Hogan winning, but they'd always come back. A lot of the places had a third show where they had the cage match. And of course, the cage match, they had two in March of 89 that I know are well known. One in the Boston Garden 1 and Madison Square Garden both are on tapes, or at least taped, and aired live in, the, in those areas. One was on a, a Hogan DVD, I want to say. Let me see. And then, of course, they also have the cage match in May of 89. That is when Hulk is champ, though. So, And that's on Saturday Night's main event, so we'll actually get there on the Cronoso eventually. Let me just check for real quick for... Yeah, if you wanted to see the best of the best Hulkamania, best of Hulkamania has the Boston show is somewhere. No, I guess it was just a classic on demand show that they saw. But yeah, best of Hulkamania has Hogan versus the Boss Man, March eighteenth, nineteen eighty nine. And so yeah, they did Madison Square Garden a matinee show cage match, and then they did a cage match main event in Boston later that night. So that is pretty crazy how much they toured with these two guys but i think they were always very very successful people hogan had been gone the whole summer so people wanted to see him back and they bought into this boss man feud and it was a good feud good fall program for hulk while he's you know he's teaming with randy savage but we'll see where that leads to eventually but no good start to the feud here hulk looks a little strong i will say i mean he's hit with a nightstick about 20 times, and at the end, segment ends with him carrying the guardrail over his head. So I might have been a little more like, Randy Savage is his best friend. Why doesn't he come out there and help him maybe? Run off the boss man or even the gaggle of officials at the time, you know, Patterson, Tony Gurria, Chief J. Strongbow could have come and maybe at least gotten the boss man to stop. 
but overall good feud good feud starter nice good good start to this feud i like it Cronoso listeners, uh, we are back with a, another match breakdown. My name is Jennifer Smith. I'm here with my tag team partner, Logan Crosland. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great tonight, Jenny. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, we're getting into some uh, MSG action tonight from October 24th. So this ought to be fun. Who are we watching? We are watching the uh, demos of X and Smash versus the rockers of Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. So. Well, this ought to be good. We've become a uh, savage and tag team wrestling uh, savants <laughs> in this in this uh, podcasting venture. So. Savants, <laughs> that's generous of you. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Demo's looking very sex positive. I mm, think, you know, yep. um, I think that's um, an important comment. <laughs> Yeah, but that they're dressed like this in 1988. I feel like they're very sex unpositive when they take their mask, <laughs> their mask off, though, right, yes. and reveal the uh, terrifying paint that they have on. Uh, I, if I saw X in a dark alley with that uh, get up on, I would be fucking terrified. You would run, right? He's a terrifying man. Very Darso, think- not so much, but <laughs> I think it's interesting they do like the mask and then the paint. <laughs> I, I, I we've said this in a previous demos I match that we've so, done. Yeah. I, I am I am floored that their paint doesn't smear as more much more than it does. It is so like well, you know, manicured on their face and like nothing has changed from when they originally painted it. So um but yeah, this is good. So, do you think the red paint is the blood of their enemies? Uh yeah, it's the blood of the odd dead for sure. <laughs> that too. They get it from James Mitchell. He's their, <laughs> he's their confidant backstage. <laughs> X smash. Come that's, get that's, some blood that's what they that. need. They need Father James Mitchell. Yeah, they need James Mitchell, not fucking Fuji's stupid ass. Mm-mm, fuck that. Even though Fuji is about to dump them uh, at our next pay per view extravaganza. So, spoiler alert. Sean's in first. Mm-hmm. Very young Very, Sean. Young and blonde. Mm. Super blonde. So this is their uh, not very well, uh, uh, not not very good first run because they uh, they are mm. uh, kind of imaged as a uh, as partiers and uh, they go a little too hard uh, a couple of times and they get fired shortly after the Survivor Series that uh, will happen uh, f- fairly shortly after this, um, but they'll come back fairly quickly after that, but. Yeah, they uh, they they're not in for very long on this run. I think they come in in like June, and they're already gone by like the end of November. So, what did they do? They just partied too hard and broke a bunch of stuff at a bunch of bars. And you'd have to watch the Marty Ducks out of the ring to mm. uh, kind of get the whole story. They're just they're just assholes and <laughs> I can see it. I can destructive. See it. They would have like wrestling matches and bars and like break tables and glasses and you know just. A little, they would Did, party. Let's kick them out for that. <laughs> Did Pretty other much, wrestlers yeah. do that shit too? Maybe they went a little harder than uh, mm. that. He he just didn't feel like they were worth the trouble. They they seemed to be getting into. Yeah, so. yeah. Before he fell in love with Sean, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was pre him like uh, having Sean under his desk or mm-hmm. him being under Sean's <laughs> desk. <but. laughs> mutual works both ways. Yeah. Well, what do we think about Marty in the ring? I think he's really good. Um, I, you know, I think I think a lot of that. You know, 
I'll mention the Dark Side of the Ring uh, episode again. I think a lot of his problem is he just he couldn't get out, out of his own way. I feel like he I feel like they wanted to push him. I think they liked him. Um, they obviously brought him back five hundred times uh, throughout the years. So uh, he uh, Vince obviously you know liked him enough to consider bringing him back over and over and over again. So I mean. I think he's definitely talented. He's uh, Sean is definitely better. I will say that mm. for absolute fact, but right. Um, I, I think he could have had a really solid in ring career, been a multi multi-time intercontinental champion. Um, if he, if he could have just kept his, uh, demons, kept his demons away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's what they call him in wrestling. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, nobody else in, in the world calls him Mm-mm. that, but it's, uh, athletes just, and pro wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Pro wrestling and Catholics. <laughs> I might have to cut that comment. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. He didn't listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we're just doing like some quick tags um, mm-hmm. with the rockers. That's no, been very Not- good, very fast paced so far. Fast paced. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing extraordinary so far. They did do this weird like double drop kick thing in the corner at one point that I thought was kind of weird looking, but also very cool. Which one is Axe and which one is Smash? <laughs> Axe is the one that is in the ring now with Marty. Okay, and- that's what I was thinking. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, they're very they're very distinguishable by their voices. They really I, are. I mean, obviously, this is a uh, this is a uh, un audioless medium that we're going through while live watching this. So. Unaudioless. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> oh, nice headbutt. Knocked Marty out. Mm-hmm. No, that's what the cocaine did before the show. Oh, true. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> it gives him that speed, you see. I thought that's what speed did. <laughs> speed gives them speed and the cocaine gives them speed. <laughs> they have double speedness. Double speedness, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But this has been good so far. We got uh Jesse Ventura's favorite good. favorite referee in the match is uh Joe Joey Morella. The gorilla son. <laughs> We have a uh, really weird uh, commentating team tonight. Of, I'm not real sure who the middle guy is. I think it's Ron Trongard, but it's uh, him and uh, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes and mm. Billy Billy Graham. Superstar Billy Graham. So once again, we get brother, 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 brother. You know, <laughs> kind of called that. <laughs> I've kind of called that out on the last two or three shows, but uh, that is like every fourth word that he says. So, um, but yeah. I, Real weird uh, commentary team, but I don't know if they were regulars or, or what. But Trongard, I think, was mostly known for uh, AWA, so that was his big territory. Can't comment really on it since we're live watching. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I just know I started the show because I kind of wanted to see who the commentators were. Yeah. But Ron Trongard kind of talks like this. <laughs> he does. If you oh, wanna... nice. <laughs> That was sick. That was uh, Sean gets kind of uh, the ropes pulled out as he bounced off of me. <laughs> Went over the top. He, he got the dummy Royal Rumble elimination. Yeah, uh, he did. Move. 
That's how I won the uh, Cronoso Royal Rumble earlier this year. Uh, <laughs> Jim Duggan pulled the rope down and one man gang went ass over tea kettle. So. <laughs> Hopefully we can do that again next year and I can win once again. Hopefully so. Big John Stud all the way. <laughs> no, Big Logue Stud. Oh, God. <laughs> that sounds sexual. <laughs> Big low stud. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, we, we're going places. So you fell asleep in this uh, arena one time, isn't that correct? <laughs> Not in the arena. I was. I was in the suite. Uh, yeah, you were in the suite in the arena. In the. In, in, <laughs> Not at my chair. Not oh, I know. I know. <laughs> on, as Sean likes to call it, the rat couch. Mm-hmm. An MSG. Um, yeah, yeah, I went to uh, that fucking super card show, whatever it was. The mm-hmm. RA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, look. Obviously, not very good if you fell asleep. It wasn't the best. <laughs> but also, I'd had a lot of booze. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had been a long weekend, so I just went and took a little nap, and then I rallied. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I have never been to MSG, so I cannot... It's fucking great. I, I imagine it is. Me and my dad almost went to uh, Mania 20, but we did not quite call in in enough time to get tickets, so... Ah! That was going to be, like, my 10th birthday present or Christmas present or something mm-hmm. like that, so... We called in just a little too late. I mean, that was back when WrestleMania tickets sold out in like minutes. Minutes, right? Yeah, like this year. <laughs> and and the shit like you you had to fucking call instead of like going on Ticketmaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could like call the box office and be like, "Hey, I want two tickets to WrestleMania, please." That sounds crazy to me. I know. I'm surprised he even did it. Like, cause I didn't go to a bunch of shows growing up or anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Me and him went to. I think me and him went to Raw that that year. Uh, that uh, 2004 that Mania 20 was so um, that that was actually the only Raw I've ever been to too. I've never been to one. Really? Nope. Never done any of the TV tapings. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, next week's Raw is in Memphis. Actually, I, I should consider. Oh, nice. Going, but, um, kind of need uh to work so I can make. Yeah. Money. <laughs> well, unfortunately, mm-hmm. they are just killing the Rockers in this match. Yeah. As I was say, they were evading them pretty well at the beginning, but now, yeah. No, it is total right. domination at this point. Mm-hmm. They're uh, absolutely destroying them at this point. Sean looks like a little baby child um, <laughs> in this, whatever it is, bear hug? Bear hug, yes. <laughs> Come on, Sean. You need oh. to tap. Oh, man. they were. It seems like uh, the demos are... They are, snug. Uh, they, are work, they are working a little stiff, yeah. <laughs> they don't like these pretty boy assholes. <laughs> it definitely comes across. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so I doubtful we'll get the match at, at uh Survivor Series, but uh Fuji, manager of the tag team champions currently in the demolition, uh will turn on them at Survivor Series while they are still tag team champions and go with the team that is not the tag team champions. Thus cementing him as one of the stupidest managers <laughs> in the wrestling. So. Uh, fucking Fuji. And being the fe- Oh, God. Oh, Jesus Christ. 
and being the how would you describe that an accident uh, knee i don't know I he kind of just kicked him and then he flailed like well, he just yeah. got the crap kicked out of him or something like i don't really know what hot happened. tag to marty mm -hmm. this has been all sean uh, as far as the rockers go which seems mm -hmm. like how it usually goes mm -hmm. see so, see somehow morton and sean were always the better of the two rock t teams mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um <laughs> And uh, somehow the other two were always the hot tag. So, mm -hmm. oh, both, both of the cross-eyed halfwits were the uh, hot tag. <laughs> <laughs> he's not cross-eyed here yet. I, I know. <laughs> I don't think he's ever cross-eyed. So he actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're they're working together now, uh, mm -hmm. heating it up. Yep, I'm sure the crowd is going bonkers at this point because. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Marty, bless your heart. <laughs> Ended a little short what? there. What? <laughs> See, I never understood the jumping off the your partner's the shoulders thing. Shoulders, that, yeah. that, that, that could end so poorly. And he like, couldn't even plant his feet to get any height on that. Fuji, give him the cane, you dumb fuck. There go, bear hug. Oh, oh fucking hell! Oh. Javetti got his absolute head knocked off. That was a fucking that right was a hand, murder, man. murder. Oh my god! Please replay it. Oh, that was fucking sick. That was oh, amazing. Five stars for that <laughs> fucking <laughs> ending, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a hell of a finish, and they just got away, and that's it. <laughs> Oh my god, I feel like I got knocked in the head. Oh god. That was incredible. Oh my goodness. I feel like we usually go two and a half stars, but I'm gonna have to bump it to three for yeah, that. Yeah, I, I might right do hand. three and a quarter on that. Um, Jesus. No, that was very good. That was a fun match, quick. Um, mm -hmm. No boring, even the bear hugs, interesting to watch. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah because was... they had crushed him before that. So, yeah. I mean, it was like... <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Sean was great. I mean, props to Marty for taking that fucking shot to the face. I mean, yeah, that that was a it was like kind of a clothesline, but he hit hit him completely with his fist. Ooh. Like it was, he rocked him, just absolutely <laughs> rocked him. <laughs> well, hell, that was fun and woke me the fuck up. So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I hope the rest of the show is good. Um, before we get on to that, what you got to talk about quick, Logan? Um, uh, here on the North-South Connection, uh, we've got Talking Docs and uh, Linking Up Luchas. Uh, we're actually going to record Linking Up Luchas coming up here pretty soon. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll be talking about, uh, well, that will be episode four. We did episode three a couple weeks ago, and it came out, uh, I believe, this past Sunday. It uh, was a fun episode with Scott and Schiff, but looking forward to talking to you and Jake about it again. Awesome. Uh, as far as me, I'm on Wednesdays here on the North-South Connection. And also, the return of TNA Never Dies. Um, and that'll be over on No Holds Barred with JT and Aaron. Um, we just dive right back into TNA because, you know what, it never dies. And um, one thing that did die, though, was uh, you heard about Pluto, one of my long-running shows, and we had the final episode last week, so I'm going to give that a final shout-out. Um, loved that pod, and um, hope you check out the last episode with Nate Milton. It's a banger. Very good. I'm on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it, 
and I'm still promoting that because I'm still fucking on it. So at Jenny Position until it dies. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Enjoy the show. Ding ding. Pleasure and pain. Rick Rude, there are some pleasures in this world you will never ever get to know. But pain, after tonight, you'll know everything there is to know about pain. I know you can give pain to a woman. We both know that. But what I want to know is, can you take pain like a man? See, that's something Damien and I really want to know. How would that be, Cheryl? It'll be a pleasure. We know what Cheryl Roberts' pleasure is. It's being close to ravishing Rick Rude. Look at that smile. That's a happy woman. And she's going to be even happier, because when our match is over, Damien's going to be wrapped around Jake's neck, and Cheryl's going to be wrapped around mine. Tonight, King Haku, we'll find out who the real king of the ring is. You've been sitting on your lofty throne long enough, man. You think you're better than anybody else. You think that you and your manager, Bobby Heenan, can treat people like dirt and get away with it. Well, tonight, on the main event, the lovely Elizabeth is going to help me reset your crown and knock you off your throne. Washington, D.C., where that high school buddy of yours is from, that chicken hawk, Dan Quayle. He must be out here somewhere. The time, October 25th, 1988. The event, WWF presents Saturday night's main event, number 17, from Baltimore Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. Tonight's card features... Great hits like the Blue Blazer versus Borzukov, Greg Valentine versus Tommy Angel, Jake the Snake Roberts versus Rick Rude, Demolition versus the Heart Foundation, a sing and in singles competition, Hulk Hogan versus King Haku, Dino Bravo versus Ken Patera, and the Big Boss Man goes against Jim Powers. Your current champions at this present time. Your World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion is Randy Macho Man Savage. The Intercontinental Champion is your Ultimate Warrior. The WWF Tag Team Champions are Demolition, Axe, and Smash. The women world, WWF World Women's Champion is Rockin' Robin. And yes, at this time, they had the WWF World Women's Tag Team Championships, and it was the Glamour Girls, Lelaine Kai and Judy Martin. Now, 
let's get into a little bit of history of the Baltimore Arena. It is currently called the CFG Bank Arena. It was original, but originally it was the Baltimore Civic Center and also Royal Farms Arena, the Baltimore Arena, and First Mariner Arena. It's a multi-purpose arena in Baltimore, Maryland. The venue is located about one block away from the Baltimore Convention Center with a seating capacity of over 14,000 for for concerts. It officially opened in October 23rd, 1962. But it was built on the site of Old Congress Hall where the Continental Congress met in 1776. A little bit of history there. It has been home to great, great teams such as the Baltimore Clippers of the American Hockey League. The Balt- It was also the Baltimore Blades of the World Hockey Association. A few other AHL franchises, the Baltimore Slapjacks, or Skipjacks, sorry, and the Baltimore Bandits. In 1963, it became the home to the NBA's Baltimore Bullets, and then they would finally move to the Capitol Center in 1973. The Beatles performed at the arena on September 13, 1964, and they had two performances that day. A big match from defending WWF champion Bruno San Martino beat Gene Kaniski on April 3rd, 1965. And coincidentally, in a few months later, Kaniski would win the NWA World Heavyweight title. Also, Martin Luther King gave a great speech in 1966. The venue has also hosted Led Zeppelin, Chicago, The Grateful Dead. It is in 1974, the World Team Tennis Baltimore Banners played their home games there. Jimmy Connors, the number one player at the time, was on that team. So, it was a, in the 1980s, it was a frequent venue for Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW starting in 1988. The Great American Bash pay-per-view has, was held there eight times. It also hosts a Super Bowl V where Sting defeated Ric Flair to win his first NWA World Championship. Also, where, the, where Ron Simmons upset Big Van Vader in 1992 for the WCW ch- champion. And the NWO reformed in 1999 with Bret Hart, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Jeff Jarrett. It also has been host to some WWE events. So, later on in history... It will hold the 1994 King of the Ring, No Mercy 2003, No Way Out in 2006, Backlash 2008, Extreme Rules in 2010, TLC 2011, Payback 2015, Extreme Rules in 2017, as well as many Raw and SmackDown. And two huge title changes happened in this arena. First, in 1977, superstar Billy Graham beat Bruno San Martino. And in 1985, Tito Santana beat Greg Valentine for the Intercontinental Championship in a steel cage. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for your progress report and where we stand. Now on to the event. 
North-South Connection. It is Steve Riddle back again as we continue our trek through 1988. We will kick things off here with the match I'm going to be talking about and actually be live watching uh, is the opener from the show. It is Jake the Snake Roberts versus Machine Rick Rude. This, of course, is... It's the uh, culmination of this feud that's been going pretty much since uh, the spring. Of course, they had fought back at uh, WrestleMania 4, uh, the match that ended in the time of the draw. Then, of course, we remember when uh, Rick Rude tried to put the moves on J uh, Jake's right, Cheryl. Uh, they, of course, would fight at WrestleFest 88, which ended in a double countout for some reason. Uh, and then for some weirder reason, they didn't even fight at SummerSlam. Uh, they each had separate matches. Um but now they finally will face off here and uh, finish things off. Of course, the um, a few days prior at MSG, they had a blow. They had a kind of a kind of unofficial blow off match where, and it was a unique stipulation where the rules were that uh, one man could only win after f applying their finisher. So either after uh, Jake used the ET or Rude used the Rude Awakening, uh, could they win? And Jake did end up winning that match uh, clean. And, and now we kind of get the final unofficial blow off here to the feud. Um, as I mentioned, we are going to be live watching this. Uh, if you're following along with me on Peacock, we are on about four minutes and 29 seconds. Uh, into the show, and we're about to get the kind of the flashback video um, detailing the, the depths of this feud. So uh, let's go ahead and three. Two, one, play. And so we have the, uh, of course, the where the kind of the whole catalyst of this feud started um, on Superstars, where Rude uh, tried to bring uh, this this woman in the ring for a rude awakening kiss. She refused. Of course, we would find out that she was uh, Jake Roberts' wife. And of course, uh, Rude tried to uh, Rude insulted her. Then she put a slap on him. And of course, we have uh, Vincent Jesse uh, narrating this thing. And and Jesse just called her the Robin Givens of wrestling, which I don't know. It's, you know, again, kind of Tommy reference, of course. And now we have another very uh, infamous moment here on on uh, Superstars, where this was the first time that Rude broke out the uh, tights with Charles' face on them. And uh, now we get another kind of insert here. This was from September. Uh, of course, Jake is uh, doing the insert promo here, warning Rude um, what will happen to him if he does if he shows the tights with Cheryl's uh, face on it again. He he threatens he basically threatens to take him off. Which, of course, now we go back here uh, we as uh, Rude's got the uh, the tights on and the crowd popping because now here comes Jake and now Jake going after Rude here. Big backdrop and now we get the. Uh, Right there, the infamous moment as Root as Jake pulls Root's tights down. Of course, we got the big uh, black spot. Um, per, you know, making sure we don't see anything. Uh, I think I think I've heard um, people that either were there or seen it before saying that Root was, was wearing a thong, so he wasn't like completely exposed. And of course, Bobby getting a shot in and Bobby doing his uh, his great uh, jump over the top rope there. And now uh, we go. Of course, we got Vince and uh, Jesse here. Jesse looking kind of like a politician with the hat and the and the nice suit. And now we have, uh, of course, uh, Mean Gene here with Rude and uh, Bobby. And, of course, Rude's got uh, – Rude obviously did not learn his lesson. He once again has uh, tights with Cheryl's face right on his crotch. Gene, Gene trying to tell tell Rude here that he's uh, he's just provoked – he's just, you know, trying to provoke Jake. Of course, uh, Rude, Rude playing it off. I don't know why, but Bobby always calling people humanoids always is with such a funny insult. I, it's it's just like the weirdest insult, but it just from just the way Bobby um, Bobby delivers it. And now he looks like he's uh, it looks like he was uh, putting uh, Oakland to sleep there by hypnotizing him, and then Root and then Root kind of brought him back with he said like a Root awakening. Now Root's about to come down the ring, and unfortunately. Since I am watching this on Peacock, for some reason they have dubbed over Rude's awesome theme song and put in this like really 
crappy canned um, dubbed uh, stripper music, which I I, I I just don't I don't know why. It's, some of the choices they make, like some of the choices they make here with some of these dubs, just you know, just doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't. Again, I just don't don't understand it. Um, just just whatever. I don't know. But uh, of course, Rue now uh, in the ring. Doing his little chin there. Now we go back again. Mean Gene now with uh, Jake and Cheryl. Of course, Jake with uh, with Damien wrapped around him. Jake getting a good a little uh, promo here, saying that he's uh, you have to be a man to insult a fellow man. And he says Rude is not a man, so he's not insulted by him. He says that the Heenan family are like flies buzzing around their garden. He says he's got the DDT. <laughs> Jake's Jake's taunting uh, Gokulin there with the uh, with the snake. <laughs> so Jake said that once he was done with Rudy, they brought something from their garden for him to wear. wear and uh, Cheryl holds up a little like fig leaf, and basically implying that Rude is is not too uh, is basically not uh, well endowed. So obviously trying to uh, again get in Rude's head now as. Uh, as we saw the uh, the little graphics there for both guys, and now Jake and Cheryl coming out of the rain again. Rue trying to uh, trying to put uh, show his stuff off there, and Cheryl looking uh, totally disgusted again. Jesse Jesse continuing to call uh, call Cheryl uh, Robin Givens, and he and Vince going back and forth. Jesse saying that Cheryl's the problem, but uh, just but Vince saying Rue's the problem. Of course, you know. Classic heel and uh, face uh, commentary there. Jesse, you know, obviously Rude was always one of Jesse's, uh, you know, favorite guys. Him and uh, eventually when he did turn heel, uh, Randy Savage was were his uh, his two main guys. Jake rocking some uh, kind of swank uh, white tights with the uh, with the blue snake on, and here we go right off the bat, going right at each other, locking up. Rude now ramming his shoulder. Oh, Jake catching it with a nice knee lift. And going and going right for the tights, but uh, but Rude gets uh gets a shot in. Now going back and forth, and now Jake gets back advantage. Now going after the arm. One of his uh great uh, one of his usual uh kind of tactics here, working the arm. Cheryl obviously loving what's going on. And now Rude trying to uh trying to get over the top rope to escape, but Jake pulls him back in. Bobby not happy about it. He thinks there should have been a break since Rude was in the ropes. Ref obviously thought otherwise. Jake continuing now to uh, to work the arm here as see Rude trying to get uh, whips him off. Duck underneath by Rude. Leapfrog. Oh, Jake with a shot right to the ribs. Thought Rude was going to actually do the swivel, but he didn't. But now Jake looking. Oh, Jake was looking for the DET. Rude quickly slips out, slides out, and now tries to confer with Bobby. That is one thing, though, that has been pretty um, interesting about this whole feud is that... Uh, is that Rude always finds different ways to escape uh, escape the DDT because he knows if he gets hit with it, it's over. He's felt it before and he doesn't want to feel it again. And now Rude, now he had taken uh, he had gotten an eye rake in, tried to take tried to take control, but Roberts again oh ducked the short clothesline and Rude catches him with a clothesline. Jake uh, Jesse putting over both guys as uh, great athletes. Obviously, like I said, Rude always one of his favorites, and you know Jake's always an interesting guy where he. You know, he obviously had the great character. He always was involved in great storylines like this one. But when it came to the actual uh, in-ring, you know, they didn't always deliver sometimes. I mean, we know their match at uh, at four 
you know, went the 15 minute draw was not the greatest. It was kind of, you know, you could tell they were definitely stalling for time um, to get to the time limit. And then even their match at WrestleFest, which, you know, at that point, the feud had gotten hot and, you know, it went that match also went over 15 minutes and then ending in the double countout, but it wasn't as violent as it, you know, potentially could have been, um, especially given, you know, the heat, like I said, the heat behind it. And now uh, Rude in full control here now, putting the, uh, the bad mouth on Cheryl. And now going back to work, going back to work, working on the back. Hard I wish rip into the corner. And Jake collapse collapses to the men. Of course, again, Jesse, uh, Cheryl's just trying to boost her own ego by having two men fight over her. <laughs> Jesse trying to assume that she's saying she's loving every minute of rude, uh, swiveling his hips at her. Vince trying to disagree. Another hard whip into the corner. Oh, but Jake catches them. Rude took too long to, to uh, taunt Cheryl. And uh, Jake caught him with a nice clothesline. Now he's back in control here. Cheryl now extremely happy that her man's back in control. Jake now with the, those stinging left jabs. Knocking Rude down. Crowd red hot here for Jake. Jake now looking for a uh, ooh, nice gut buster. One of his uh, signatures there. Slamming Rude's, Rude's head into the mat. Now holding his, uh, holding him on the ropes, holding his arms back. Almost looks like he's trying. Oh uh, yeah, he's trying. He wants uh, Cheryl to do something. She gets up, gets his face, and slaps him in the face. And that got a nice reaction from the crowd. Of course, Jesse wants, uh, Jesse wants uh, Jake disqualified because Cheryl is a manager. Cheryl technically is a manager, and uh, she just got physically involved as the. Uh, and, and now Bobby wants her, Bobby wants her, uh, wants her thrown out. Now the referee arguing uh, on the outside. They're arguing. Looks like he wants to throw. He does want to throw Cheryl out, but uh, but Jake, kind of a. Uh, well, it looked like he was trying to uh, convince him otherwise, but it actually looks like he's going to uh, take her to the back himself. As we are about to, uh, as we hit a quick commercial break, and now we're back in the court. And it looks like uh, looks like Rude tried to attack Jake in the aisle as he was taking Cheryl back. Uh, they started going, and now Rude sends Jake into the post. So, uh, so Cheryl has indeed uh, been taken backstage. She is no longer going to be a factor. And now Rude trying to take advantage here, sending Jake again in the post shoulder first. <laughs> Jesse's like, you can all hear all that all the way up here, McMahon. And Jake now is in, uh, as Vince would say, Jake is in serious trouble as Rude again, um, swiveling his hips. Still got the, uh, of course, got the uh, the tights on with Cheryl's face on them. As he is in uh, full control here. Robert's now finally back in the ring. Now he's trying to come back here once again with those jabs. Knocks Root down. Trying to see what that is. I know the one side of uh, – I'm trying to see what's on the other side of Jake's tights there. I know obviously the one's the snake, but it almost it kind of looks like something in a, in like a, in a suit. I can't tell. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to get close up for it, but a uh, good little back, good backdrop there by uh, by Jake. And Jake again singling. He wants uh, he wants the DDT. But but again, Rude counters it with a backdrop, and then drops a drops a pair of elbows on him for good measure. Now Rude looks like he's going to go up top, try to finish uh, finish him off, and he comes off with a diving fist. Nice little uh, good shot there. Now looking for the looks like he's going to go for the pin. A little accidental, and he pays for it. Clearly took uh, too long there to uh, to get the pin in, and now uh, and again, Rude trying now uh, taunting taunting Jake here. 
even Jesse kind of calling it out saying that that was a big mistake on Rude's part that uh, that he didn't take control of it. And now Rude looks like he's going to go for the Rude Awakening. But Jake counters it by biting on Rude's hand. Not a counter you see that often, but Rude uh, again rakes the eyes. Shot off the rope. Jake, go. Oh, nope, count him ducking. DDT! Crowd pops big for that, but now Bobby is calling for somebody to come out here. Now Jake again going for the uh, for the tights, but Bobby gets in the ring, kicks out, and that is going to draw the DQ. There's the bell, and we see, of course, now we see uh, Rude wearing a normal uh, briefs, and oh, now we see who he was calling for, Andre the Giant, coming down to the ring as Jake is uh, getting stomped on here by um, by Bobby. Rude still feeling the effects of the DDT. Jake's now got Rude, got uh, Bobby's leg. Uh, but here comes Andre. He's in the ring, and Jake's going to be in trouble. Ooh! Jake now getting assaulted here by Andre. Big hip, but out goes Jake. Down to the floor. So the match is going to end in a disqualification win for Jake. Now both uh, Bobby and Andre checking on uh, checking on Rude, trying to see if he's okay. Obviously still feeling the uh, the effects of the DDT. Uh, now Jake has pulled out his equalizer. Of course, that's Damien. Of course, Bobby quickly see- notices that he gets out of the ring. And now Andre turns around and sees Jake with Damien. And uh, pretty big moment here because, as we see, Andre uh, not too... Uh, and, and Andre now pulling his hand out. He's he's like wait. He's like he's like you know stay back. Vince and Jesse are are flipping out over this. The fact that uh, that Andre is so uh, so afraid is uh, so uh, resistant to get in there. Andre calling for help from Bobby as Jay continues to taunt uh, Andre with Damien as uh, just as uh, Vince kind of uh, puts two and two together. He says that he thinks Andre might be afraid of that snake. You know, the giant usually not afraid of anything. And yet Andre clearly he's not uh doesn't like what he sees. And now Jake and now Jake just throws Damien on Andre. Crowd pops big. And the snake is uh wrapping itself around uh around Andre. Almost got around his neck there as Andre collapses to the mat. Jesse not happy with this. He says that that snake has no pro- no business in the in wrestling. And Andre now looking like he's uh look almost like he's suffering a, a heart attack or you know, some sort of a, uh, you know, seizure, and now he's uh, looks to be out cold as Damien uh, slithers his, himself right over Andre's body. You know, I hope he's not scared to death because you don't want to see anyone, you know, basically want anyone to die on television. On television, and uh, and Jake now standing tall with Damien over Andre. Not often again that somebody is able to keep Andre down. Of course, obviously, because really wasn't even Jake that did it. it was Damien. Andre is uh, does appear to be out cold, and Jake uh, and Vince says that uh, Jake has definitely made a name for himself. As Bobby now uh, gets in the ring because Jake has now left the ring, he's headed to the back, and Bobby ripping out, ripping Andre's shirt open and now trying to uh, trying to revive him. <laughs> Jesse telling him he should use mouth to mouth. He's not even really doing CPR that good. He's just basically like beat, beating on his chest. He was like slapping him in the face. Trying to get him back to his spec round here, and uh, <laughs> Bobby's just completely freaking out. Now here comes some uh, some assistance here from these uh, doctors, and we go to another quick um, 
quick commercial break, and uh, we'll we'll just kind of quickly talk about here. So we got uh, so we're back here, and Andre is now finally come around. Uh, there's like f- there's like five or six doctors out there um, checking on him. Of course, um, what had happened before is, of course, Andre came out during the match between Jake Roberts and Rick Rude. Um, Roberts had already won by DQ because Bobby got involved. Andre got a couple shots in on Jake, but then Jake had pulled out Damien, and Andre. You had a great you know, look of fear on his face. He didn't like what he was seeing. And then eventually Jake had ta- would toss Damien onto, um, onto Andre, causing him to, to, uh, to go unconscious. And, uh, and now Andre here has got uh, finally kind of coming back around. He's uh, still very disoriented. And now he's even, uh, even checking under the ring. He's not sure if he's... Uh, not sure if uh, Damien's uh, still not even sure if Damien's there. He wants to make sure he's not. And uh, and it looks like uh, we have a new feud that is just about to uh, the brew here as we're about to soon as we now go to a um, interview here with Mean Gene and the Heart Foundation. So so there you go. Um, the match itself, I, I thought it was decent. I would probably give it um, two and two two and a quarter. Um, you know, it was fine for the, the TV stuff we got. We didn't get any, you know rest holds like we normally would get with uh, with a rude match and obviously but uh, but clearly um it was more about ending that feud and even and um continue in uh, beginning the jake andre feud so um you know fine stuff again this is going to continue on we i don't i'm pretty sure the match of survivor series had already been uh, announced so we know we're going to get a lot more of uh this we're going to kind of get the final final bit for jake and root and then obviously go full bore into uh jake and andre so um but that will go ahead and um wrap things up here for me uh you can usually find across um, all the quadipods um and also of course i will as i continue usually to plug the grace of the 2000s tournament going on over on the um on the p facebook group please be sure to get involved with that um but i will go ahead and say thank you for joining me um here on Cronoso as we continue on with saturday night's main event hey there everyone i'm talking Yes, the doctor just passed for a second time on the one Chronoso. I know you are all excited. I know you're excited. You get to hear me twice, and uh, some of you are probably gushing with excitement. And I'll tell you what, so am I. I am gushing with excitement because I am bringing you what is probably the best match on this whole episode of Chronoso. The greatest thing that could happen is when you get the two greatest of all time and put them against each other. And that's what we're about to get. In my opinion, the two greatest tag teams of all time, or at least two of the bet top three. I know everyone's got their thoughts. You know, is it, is it, you know, the Usos or Edge and Christian or the Hardys or the Dudleys or the Bulldogs or whatever. In my mind, the Heart Foundation demolition if not the top two, then certainly two of the top three greatest tag teams of all time, and definitely my two favorite tag teams of all time. Demolition number one, Heart Foundation number two. Oh, it's exciting. Don't let your heart stop. Don't be like Andre the Giant. Don't let you have a heart attack right now. Take a breath. Get yourself together because we are going to have a good time. I'm so excited to do this. Let's get going. We go to the back after Andre's heart attack. We go to the back and Mean Gene is with the Heart Foundation. Of course he is. And the Heart Foundation say they are sick of Jimmy Hart. 
They were sick of him barking orders. They were sick of him with his megaphone. And Amble says that he's the reason. He actually lost the title for them in the first place. You know, they are ready to go. Um, they're going to do it. Brett, now, Brett still comes across a little bit hesitant. It's still early days for, for Brett's character development. But the Anvil is exuding everything that makes uh, helps make the Heart Foundation stars. Fun little interview. Not the best, not the greatest. But, hey, we get the ball rolling. Hey, now, Cronoso, episode 12. Steve Bennett here riding solo after a great Episode 11 had all my boys with me, Hollywood, Florida, Dave Rollins. We had John D'Amato. We had Ryan Gray. We did YouTube. It was great. Check it out. Last month. This month, a little different. want to thank Hall for kicking it over to me. He finally got a demolition and Heart Foundation match. I know he's looking forward to that down in Australia. Um, and I'm sure he did as good of a job as Francisco Tati did on his penalty against Australia in the round of 16 in 2006. Perfection. All right, Haku and Hogan is my match. Six minutes, 16 seconds. Hogan wins via leg drop. Kind of a fun match. Uh, you know, it it did feel like it lacked stakes a little bit. You know, um, Hogan doesn't have the belt, so it's not for that. And although Haku is King Haku here, it's Hogan doesn't become the king if he wins. Um, but nonetheless, uh, he comes to the ring with Elizabeth. And uh, unlike when she comes to the ring with Randy and has to hold the ropes for him, Hogan holds the ropes for her and lets her in the ring. Kind of maybe just another little subtle piece of piece of uh, a layer on the cake as we're building towards the explosion of the Mega Powers. Maybe just a little subtle thing there. Uh, but Hogan comes into the ring. Haku is obviously already there, having been carried out. Um, and Bobby the Brain Heenan is with him, and, and Bobby the Brain is great in this match, uh, does a really great job of antagonizing Hulk, and it gives Jesse the opportunity to make some great one-liners about what an advantage it is for Haku to have a real manager like Bobby instead of Hulk, who's just got, you know, this coos, you know, this piece of uh, piece of ice uh, in his corner, and, she, and Elizabeth does look beautiful, by the way. Um, but a really good juxtaposition between the two different types of managers. And Bobby Heenan works brilliantly in this match, sort of putting the odds against Hulk a little bit and making you feel like he's vulnerable here. But I guess the problem, if there is one with this match, is vulnerable to what, right? If he loses this match, I don't know, it just doesn't... And that's the thing, so many of Hulk's matches were conditioned to have these huge stakes. They're the main events of pay-per-views. They're for the title. It's another person coming after his title, trying to take what's his. It's Andre, it's Stud, it's Bundy, it's Terry Funk, rest in peace, it's Iron Sheik. All these guys, one, 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 one in front of each other. And it's Hulk's job to knock him down. And at one time, he's he's off. If one time he's off, one time he makes a mistake, the belt is gone. And Hulkamania is in jeopardy. And it just doesn't quite feel that way here. Now, again, it doesn't have to. All the time, but we're just conditioned when Hulk is in the ring to feel a certain way, and I don't know that I feel that way here. Uh, but the crowd is great; they gave him a great pop coming in, they give him a great pop coming out. Uh, Bobby takes a great bump. Uh, Hogan sort of baits. He's on, Hogan's on the outside, and Haku's on the apron, and Bobby wants Haku to jump off the apron and hit Hulk. And Hulk sort of baits 
uh, Bobby. And right when he jumps off, Hulk pulls Bobby in front. Haku knocks him out. They got to take Bobby's dead carcass back to the locker room. And while they do that, we go to commercial. You know, the, the brilliant ways they would split these matches up on Saturday night's main event. And um, and then we come back and basically Hulk finishes off Haku, who now doesn't have his advantage, right? The advantage of having Bobby instead of Elizabeth is, not, is no more. And without that, Haku is, is no match for Hulk. Uh, and Hulk eventually drops the leg and pins him clean as he should. One, two, three in the middle of the ring to a huge pop. And then not only does Hogan pose, but Hogan and the lovely Miss Elizabeth pose. And at one point, I was waiting. I'm like, is he going to touch her? Is there going to be any physical contact? What's going to happen here? And then, of course, at one moment at the end, Hulk lifts her up and, and puts her on his shoulder and, and carries her around. And you just know that somewhere Randy Savage is watching this with disapproval in his eye. And he's not happy about it. Uh, but for tonight, if you're a fan of the Mega Powers, if you're a fan of Hulk, it's a good night. Hulk gets a win. He gets to pose. It's a big pop. Elizabeth looks beautiful. She's glad to be uh, doing her work for someone as appreciative and as chivalrous as the Hulk, a true gentleman, as opposed to a, a, a misogynist like Randy Savage, who treats her like dirt. Not Hulk. No, 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 not the Hulk. That man, that man's a gentleman, and he treats her as such. And it's a good match and a good job done by Hulk Hogan, who wins on this night. Uh, all right, I'm going to kick it off to to one of my favorite dudes out there, um, J.A.D., um, who has been neutered a little bit himself this summer. Um, uh, but there, but uh, but you know, if it seems like see, see, my partner Hollywood Florida Dave Rollins has switched to romantic comedies this summer. Uh, and and there's been some rumors that that JAD has has been uh, viewing those pictures as well. But we'll see what happens in the fall. Either way, he's going to come and join you for a few more matches here. And I always love to listen to 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 John talk about this era. So let's kick it off to him. Uh, that's it for me. I will be back next month or next episode uh, with the tag team match at Survivor Series '88. So pumped about that, and I think I have a treat lined up for it. John, take it away, buddy. Hey, Cronoso faithful. It's uh, Johnny D'Amato here with uh, your report for this month. And uh, we got Saturday night's main event from uh, October 1988. And a real bond burner, a real uh, hot feud that was set up uh, back in the spring. And uh, I guess it's going to culminate here in October. Dino Bravo versus Ken Patera. Yep, uh, that's uh, what we got this time. We're going to try to make the best of it. Uh, we don't always get the best draw, so uh, let's go to uh, how this feud was set up. Hello, everyone. This is Lord Alfred Hayes with Update. An article which forcibly caught my eye in the June edition of the World Wrestling Federation magazine was written by the Olympic Games medalist, Ken Patera. This article states, in simple layman terms, that Dino Bravo's claims of a world record bench press are downright dishonest. It further added that real strongmen should possess other powerful qualities such as moral and ethical strength also. Evidently stung by this verbal broadside, Bravo accepted a test of his qualities by participating in a tug-of-war encounter. 
moral and ethical uh, strength, uh, whatever that means. Uh, oh, boy. A lot of McDonald's jokes uh, we could talk about there. But, uh, yes, uh, Bravo didn't like that. Uh, I mean, Patera didn't like that Bravo was claiming to be the strongest man from the uh, the Rumble lift fiasco. And uh, he challenged Dino to a tug of war. And uh, let's see how that turned out. Hot angle there, <laughs> playing off the uh, rumble. Uh, Bravo is a, a classic uh, rumble lift. So uh, that leads to this match here. Uh, it's getting late on Saturday night's main event. We had the uh, the the big Hogan Haku match. Uh, we had the uh, uh, Jake the Snake and Rude and uh, the classic angle with the uh, the Snake on on Andre. So it's getting later in the evening, and uh, they promised uh, some Hulk and Andre. Uh, promos uh, towards the end but it, it's getting close to one in the morning uh, so it, uh, i'm sure not too many stood up uh, for this uh, so uh, here we go uh, the, the 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 promos uh frenchy and bravo are real hot and uh, uh, Bra uh, uh bravo's uh playing off the the olympian uh, angle and he says american olympians are cheetahs like ken patera <laughs> And then, uh, and then we go into the ring and, uh, where Vince chides Jesse about, uh, Bravo's uh, record and how, how Jesse helped him, uh, uh, achieve that, uh, really going back to that, uh, that Royal Rumble, uh, uh classic, uh, angle there. And then, uh, Gene with, uh, Patera boring interview, uh, uh, really running the, uh, U.S. Uh, versus Canada angle, uh, which, uh, you know, I don't recall that much being, being that much hatred towards Canadians, but, uh, Anyway, uh, uh, that's what we got in 1988, and uh, we go right to the ring uh, action. Bravo, actually, uh, I mean, uh, Patera actually looked good for 30 seconds. Uh, if if you remember, after WrestleMania three, Patera fresh out of jail, uh, the hot angle uh, with Heenan, where uh, they had the classic debate, and uh, Patera puts uh, Heenan in the ne in the neck brace. Uh, you know, gives gives him a real hard belt shot and everything, and. Uh, uh, for a while, that Patera was was pretty much uh, behind Hogan as a number two babyface, believe it or not. 
and uh, they they ran a lot of matches uh, like Patera versus Hercules with with like Heenan uh, handcuffed to Bruno and uh, stuff like that. You know, secondary um, uh, main events. I, I don't think it exactly burned the box office. Then Patera got hurt. And uh, he he really wasn't the same ever since he came back. Not that he was anything. It, it was a it was a misguided effort. Uh, uh, Vince must have really liked Patera to, to give him a shot. Uh, you know, uh, coming out of jail here. But uh, it, when he came back from from that injury, it was uh, you know this was this was the angle he was given, and uh, not not much there. Uh, he, he does start off with a good flurry to Bravo. Who uh, who takes a powder outside, but then Bravo comes back in and uh, with his cartoon punches and chokes. Uh, this is uh, mercifully kept short. Uh, Patera does the the big crowd spot where he where he mounts uh, Bravo in the corner and and, and gives the uh, the ten count. The, the crowd's into it for uh, for a little bit, uh, giving the old college uh, try, uh, you know, with the USA to Patera, but uh, really there's not much. He goes for his uh, big full Nelson uh, move and. Uh, uh, Bravo gets out of that with with them within seconds. They don't even uh, tease that, and uh, and then uh, 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 Patera throws Bravo into the ropes and a uh, reverse, and he and he charges and uh, runs right into a, a Bravo boot, and uh, then an atomic drop and uh, that that side suplex and a, an easy pin, uh, kind of like a squash, and right, and right away Jesse uh, moves on, uh, forgets all about uh, Patera. And says that uh, Bravo is going to do this same to uh, Hacksaw. So this was mercifully kept short, and uh, a little sad to see where where Patera is going with that. And uh, and and uh, still they have plans uh, with Bravo, obviously coming off uh, playing off the big Rumble lift, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, even though as, as horrible as he is with with Frenchie, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is your mid card. Uh, this is your this is your mid card feud. Uh, this is where it is after you get uh, after you get Hogan and Andre and Jake the Snake and all that. This this is uh, what's uh, bringing up the mid card here. So not much there. This is Johnny D, and uh, I'll talk to you later. Hey, guess who's back? Back again. All right, I get a little uh, double play action there. Uh, to, to finish off this uh, Saturday night's uh, main event, ooh boy, I, I doubt many, many people kept up for this. They're, they're still teasing this uh, this big uh, interview with Andre and and Heenan uh, to discuss what happened with the with the snake issue, and also to tease in a Hogan promo. But uh, in the meantime, to close us out, we get the uh, Big Boss Man uh, making a Saturday night's main event debut versus Jim Powers, uh, and uh, I, I want to go back to the to the very beginning. There was a uh, during the 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 classic opening with with the music, uh, the Saturday Night Main Event, Bo- Bossman was featured. They never mentioned who who he's wrestling, and he really doesn't mention uh, Hogan. It, it was it was more just to get over uh, uh, Bossman. Uh, slick had a had a real uh, slick uh, green suit on with the hat, just matched perfectly, uh, looking uh, pimping as ever. And uh, he he says that Bossman's gonna lay down the law of the land, and uh, and Bossman says, yeah, the harder I hit you, the harder you'll land, uh, like that. And then he says, uh, the boss, big Bossman's gonna read your rights, and uh, Bossman says, yes, you have the right to suffer and feel pain, and if you wish to have an attorney present, I'll hurt him too. Uh, that was a, a classic going back to the beginning. And then uh, b- before the match, uh, uh, Slick uh, with the, with the same slick suit, looking great. And uh, and Gene asks, "Hey, where do you, where do you find these uh, these big monsters, uh, these big athletes?" And Slick says, "I don't find them; they find me, brother." And uh, and then and then a sweaty boss man just uh, getting over how mean and vicious he is and saying he loves his work. 
and uh, and then uh, Gene finally, uh, you know, mentions almost as, as a side uh, mentioned that uh, that his opponent is going to be Jim Powers. Uh, you, know, you know where this is going. Not much there. And Gene says, uh, has a classic line at the end after Bossman selects the exit. He says, Bossman's the kind of guy that would bring a, lun- a box lunch to a lynching. <laughs> uh, classic Gene right there. So uh, we get in the ring, and, and Bossman, this is uh, your typical uh, uh, superstars a challenge uh, squash uh, brought to life here on Saturday night's main event to get over Bossman's viciousness. He dominates Powers. Powers gets very little uh, offense, and uh, as he's beating down Powers, uh, Bossman calls for Hogan as this is fresh off the uh, the hot brother love angle, where where, where Bossman del- delivered uh, his kind of justice to to Hulk, and uh, and uh, B- Boss keeps uh, mentioning Hogan as he's beating down uh, poor Jimmy Powers, and uh, he gives him a, a a bear hug and just drops him as a. Jesse and Vince uh, both get over the boss man's beatdown on the Brother Love segment, uh, but barely mentioning Powers at all. Uh, no, uh, very little offense. Uh, Powers tries, tries a little sleeper, which which, which doesn't last, and then uh, boss man eventually just just hits him with the sidewalk slam and uh, the one two three squash. And then and then after the the post match lasts just about as long as the match as. Uh, Bossman gets over he, he, the the cuff spot where he handcuffs Powers and, and, and gives him a nice vicious beat down with with the nightstick. As, as the crowd goes mild, there's really not much uh, sympathy for Paul Powers there. As uh, Vince and Jesse continue to get over, you know this is this is what he could do to Hulk Hogan, uh, setting up that future match. And uh, uh, the, the the best part is this was Powers uh, sold this great. You know he had drool and spit all over his face and. Uh, we, you know, really uh, sunk the pain in well. So, this is a a squash a squash match to get over a big boss man. And then the the Saturday nights main event closes with uh, Hogan talking about about the uh, the boss man and uh, setting up their future matches. And and then it ends with the uh, with a distraught on Andre and Brain. Uh, uh, just a traumatic uh, incident after the uh, earlier. Uh, uh, Jake the Snake uh, heart attack uh, angle uh, with uh, poor Andre that was uh, uh, covered uh, greatly. So uh, this is just a uh, just a little squash city here, and a uh, couple mundane uh, matches on the uh, October Saturday night's uh, main event to close things out. Uh, hopefully, the uh, Thanksgiving one will we'll see a better day. So this is Johnny D uh, signing off, and uh, peace out. All right, a little long in the tooth, Jones here with Cronoso. However, that's why I decided to break it half and go with two episodes here of Cronoso. Thank you to all 20, almost 25 contributors to this episode. Great job, guys. We will be back in two long weeks for the Survivor Series 1988. As always, we will see you next time on Cronoso. Later, guys.
See? 